The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> it's the Winemakers Podcast. I'm John Myers, your host. I'm sitting here this morning with uh, Brian K. No, Brian's gone. Bart <laughs> Hansen, you're not Brian. You're Bart. And uh, Dave Morell. And Dave is uh, the president and on the board of directors of the Sonoma Ecology Center and doing a lot in very interesting climate uh, work. Good morning, John. And we also have Doug Beck by phone from Monterey Pacific, which is a very large vineyard management company down in Monterey. He's the science officer. He's also got a PhD in soils from UC Davis. And I forgot to mention that you have a PhD from Princeton. So, it, it so we're talking to some very that, that interesting people this morning. I, I was younger then. So it's um, it's pretty amazing. Uh, here it is, only February, and we've had three PhDs on the podcast this year. There you go. You're I, mean, I guess we must be doing something differently. There goes a sighting of um, the famous Phil Katuri. In- Bye, Phil. See ya. And Isabel Gassier, no, they're, they're enjoy here. Enjoy your tasting. They're here for a tasting of everything 21 and 22. Yeah. So that should be in Very good. I'd like to be a fly. I'm on sorry we're missing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, David, you know, um, I was hoping that you could, um, you know, tell us a little bit about what's going on at the Ecology Center. Um, uh, hoping to, you know, I, I, it's the Sonoma. We think of it as the Sonoma Valley Ecology Center, but it's really the Sonoma Ecology Center because you guys work all over the county, correct? We work all over the state and increasingly nationally and even internationally. Wow, really? That's uh, we're awesome. based in Sonoma, but we have a vision that uh, takes us various places uh, around uh, around the globe. Could you give our listeners a little background on some of the programs that you do and um, a lot of the work you're doing? We're a nonprofit, as said, based here in Sonoma. We have about 30 employees. We run a budget of about $3 million a year. We're a bit of an unusual nonprofit in that we don't have an endowment. Uh, We would love one, anyone (laughs) listening. Uh, But uh, we have about 70% of our revenue comes from winning competitive contracts. Mostly state and local government, uh, some federal, uh, some fee-for-service work, including for vintners and vineyards. And we'll get into all of that in terms of some of our specific work on yeah. the ground. Um, we do education. We, uh, about 12 years ago, agreed that when the state was going to close a large state park near here called Sugarloaf Ridge State Park, yeah. 5,000 oh, yeah. 5, acres, we took over its uh, operation. Yeah. So we operate in uh, Ridge State Park on behalf of the uh, state park system. We also operate a small park here in the city of Sonoma on 7th Street East called Sonoma Garden Park on behalf of the city of Sonoma. Yeah, an amazing um, spot down mm-hmm. there. That fig tunnel tree is, I've, I've never seen a fig tree like that before. Uh, it's it's a, amazing. We, ca- we call it part of fig forest and yeah. it really is. Yeah. We also have a 300-year-old uh, mother oak tree there that's really great. Um, 
We run a restoration program, and we'll talk some more about that this morning, I suspect, in terms of fire risk reduction in some innovative ways where we're really leading nationally in some important work in that regard. And we are working heavily on rainwater capture systems, both uh, structured tankage. Uh, we have recently did a tank on the Flowery School up in Sonoma Springs, um, at the bilingual education school. Mm-hmm. And we're working with a state grant on Sonoma Creek to capture rainwater in the ground and hold it there so it doesn't run off in the bay. Excellent. When we finally get rain around here. Let's not <laughs> yeah. let it all go into salt water. Right. Let's right. hold it for when we need it during the continuing drought. You know, it's interesting. When I worked at, at Benziger, um, I'm trying to remember the creek that runs through the back of them, but it goes to Sonoma Creek. It might be Nathanson Creek. I think it is Nathanson Creek. The the first time I went there and we went out to the back of the property, there were these pipes running out of the creek. And the property was purchased and they had um, water rights. And it was the sort of thing that they actually didn't use it because they had enough water, but they left everything in place because if you, if once it's out, you're not getting it back. That's and so sure. you do have yeah. to maintain it. Right. And of course, we, we have a growing concern with the management of our groundwater system. Uh, in this county, until recently, there's been no effective talk about metering wells, permitting wells, and so on. When I worked some years ago as the environmental manager for a large county to the south of us called Santa Clara County. I spent two years in that exciting role. Uh, (laughs) We had a system where every well was permitted. Any new well had to be permitted. And every well was metered as to the amount of pull off the groundwater system. So it can be done and it can protect an aquifer. They did it because they were sinking in a town called El Viso on the southern end of the bay. It dropped about four feet through subsidence. (laughs) And this is 30, (laughs) 30, 40 years ago. They began to manage their water system much more aggressively as they needed to. And eventually, I'm sure we'll have to do that here too. And it won't always be painless for everyone. But that's the kind of world we're living in increasingly with climate threats. Right. We have to work. We have to work to survive. I wanted to uh, give Doug a chance to introduce himself. Doug, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you're involved? Uh, Yeah, it's kind of a long story. That's okay. Uh, Post uh, PhD in Davis, I spent about 15 years overseas working in six continents, 60 countries, as a soil scientist uh, in many different cropping systems. I came to uh, grapes in the late 90s in California. Actually, I got my education here, both uh, Cal Poly and UC Davis. And I just got sucked into the grape industry because it was such a fascinating industry. You had these quality things. Besides just yields, you were always looking for quality. And I saw a lot of opportunity with that because my specialty really is in soil fertility, plant nutrition. So getting the plant nutrition right means getting the quality right. Um, and I've managed a, a large amount of acreage for Monterey Pacific over the years. I'm now just science officer, but uh, we've recently gotten into using uh, biochar in, in addition to our compost amendments and seeing really uh, striking results. 
And I think that's part of the reason you invited me just to share some of that with you. And I'm sure in the rest of the podcast, we'll talk a lot about biochar, which for the listener who is a little bit puzzled, is basically elemental carbon uh, made from wood waste in, uh, with heat in the absence of oxygen. So it's not burned. There's a term called pyrolysis. How did you get involved with biochar, Doug? I was a soil scientist working in cropping systems of South America, and they have these widespread soils in the Amazon basin that have been modified with biochar, with charcoal, down to about five to six feet depth and uniformly uh, blended with the soil. And these are phenomenal soils in terms of their productivity. You don't hardly have to fertilize. They hold water better. Uh, you look at a cr the, the basically the people there fight over these plots of land because they are so productive. And so I knew about that. And, and we first thought about it in vineyards when Caltrans came and gave us uh, the notice that they were going to take down a large windbreak, a 100-year-old eucalyptus tree alongside of one of our vineyards. They were going to truck it to the Central Valley and burn it up for electricity generation. What a wasteful thing in the days when we were trying to <laughs> save on CO2. You know, that's probably the worst thing you could do. So I thought, ching, biochar. Let's turn this to biochar, put it in the vineyard. And we searched for portable biochar makers, and there weren't really any available at that time. Uh, but it gave us the idea. And uh, a few years later, we had the opportunity to get a DWR, Department of Water Resources, grant to do a, a really complete trial to see how biochar saved irrigation water. And that grant was through the Sonoma Ecology Center, which is how Doug and I began to work together closely. Excellent. Well, obviously, you thanks guys to are the working. California Department of Water Resources for funding this initiative. Yeah, you're working towards a great goal. That's for sure. It's fascinating how, you know, a windbreak got you into it. That's interesting. So, I, I guess, you know, what I would ask is, could we kind of start at the beginning? I mean, I, I think for those of us in the wine business and people that have traveled here, you've driven around and maybe seen where a vineyard had been torn out and the vines all piled um, into a pile. And although I think that might be able to be made into biochar, I don't think that's actually what happens. Um, because it, some of the time it does when we're involved. Correct. Oh, yes. I mean, it, that's what I mean. It all could be. Um, if, if we could get those vineyard management companies and property owners to kind of be thoughtful and forethoughtful to, to plan that. Um, and how do you, and it's not, with it's those? not a big difference. Well, let's talk about the technique and right. then of course the outreach through podcasts like this to your listeners, uh, as well as just generally with those piles, we uh, traditionally have simply burned them on an appropriate burn day with permission from the local fire chief. We've in innovated a, a different approach, very similar, not much harder to do, called a conservation burn. We basically fluff up the pile so it has more air in it. Most importantly, we burn it from the top, not the bottom. And when you do that, I lovingly use the phrase, the flame cap on top eats the smoke coming up from below. So we're getting much less in the way of smoke emissions in our valley and Napa Valley on, on in burn periods. It's terrible. All smoke. Stupid. Terrible. So with the conservation burn, you get much lower emissions. And at the right time, when about 20% of the mass remains, you use water to quench it and it becomes biochar. 
because, because really, the cap has controlled the oxygen flow into the system. So it's uh, an easy way to make some basic biochar right in the, in the vineyard. Uh, to illustrate the lack of smoke emissions, we did a burn uh, down uh, uh, south of here in the Moulis area, uh, uh, Shellville area, and uh, the fire chief wanted to come, and as usual, he was running late. And he said, I can't find you. I always come to the plume. <laughs> and we were pleased to hear that because there was thing. no plume. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what we wanted. And we get biochar, <laughs> elemental carbon that we put in the soil. That's one way to make it. And before we're done this morning, we'll talk about other ways to make biochar with somewhat more sophisticated machines. What does it cost to get into this as a vineyard owner? Well, uh, the easiest is to simply learn enough uh, in a one-day or half-day training session to fluff your pile, to make sure the moisture content is adequate, and then to burn it from the top and quench it with water. So the costs there are not much of an increment above, above... Just burning. Just burning. And it's a little more to learn what the hell to do and do it right. Uh, and then learn a little bit about how to put the biochar into the soil, which Doug will jump into in a minute and give us real detail. Yeah, and the whole so key- that the Sorry. delta, the increment of cost is very, very low. Never zero, but very low. But and we offer that kind of consulting service to vineyards from Sonoma Ecology Center. And 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 the whole key is here is that you're trying not to create ash, right? Because if it's gone to ash. It's all what the benefit is lost. Almost all the benefit is lost. And it's incredibly powerful as biochar. How long, um, you said, you know, you learn it once and then it's for the lifetime. That's it. So Pretty it's much. Really... You probably get better over time. Uh, Doug can jump in, please. But when you use the conservation burn, there's a bit of a of an art as well as a science to exactly when to quench. You quench too soon, it's not right. You quench too late, it's not quite right. So there's a bit of a learning process about that. You want to do it when the wind is the right direction so that your your fire works properly. Uh, basically, it's pretty simple technology. Doug, that's your cue. Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's actually uh, a couple services coming up where people are coming in and burning, you know, taking care of the metal and everything and burning it on site so that you have biochar that are put back in the field. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to names right now because I think they're just in the beginning of, of ramping this thing up, but I think everybody will be able to do it soon at a very reasonable cost. You know, we did an early burn example with Bruce Cake Bread over in Napa, a name your listeners will know. Absolutely. Uh, of course. And so, you know, that's the a typical example of what's possible. You can also purchase biochar. I think going rate right, right now for quality, high quality, high carbon biochar is about three hundred dollars a ton. Yeah, delivered in a, typically in bulk form. Uh, let me jump in with that point. We at the Ecology Center about eighteen months ago worked with a, a tree company in the in the Bay Area called A Plus Tree, a kind of sustainability oriented company. We put together a Cal Fire grant proposal, and lo and behold, we won it, and that allowed us to purchase what will be California's first pyrolysis unit specifically to make biochar. That unit is being built in, uh, for, for us in a company in Iowa. It comes in a 40-foot container. It'll be delivered now within about six weeks to California. Initially, we were trying to site it in Vallejo on Mare Island, the old naval base. 
for a variety of permitting reasons that didn't quite work. And so now we're in the final stages of negotiating what's called CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Act and Air Quality Permits, to locate in American Canyon, a site actually owned by the city of Napa, called the Napa Recycling Facility, where there's a lot of compost available. And we'll be locating our machine there and beginning to make tons of biochar right here locally in the Napa-Sonoma Valley area. Doug, what does a a ton cover acre-wise? Yeah, something you have to consider when you're applying biochar is you can dump it on the surface. You really have to put it where the roots are working, where you're going to be getting your water and nutrition from in the soil. So really the time to do it is when you plant. And the way we do it is we rip using GPS down the future vineyard row, uh, and then we leave an open delve, drop the biochar compost into that V or delve, that groove, and then rip again down that line, mixing it down to four feet depth. Mm-hmm. It works we much can- better when you do it in raw land before you do the planting. Exactly, because getting it to where you want it in an existing vineyard is tough and expensive. Well, you've got to basically dig alongside the vines and inject it basically down there where the roots are. Most vineyards are existing right now. So how do we get those people to get into it? Uh, there are also a lot of people developing. I mean, everybody's always doing a little bit. And what I would encourage is that they try it because that's the time when you really will see the impact. Any replanting that. You get the impacts as we'll get into. And Doug has great details on this from our Department of Water Resources funded scientific study. Not only did we improve soil health and water retention in the Oasis vineyard. Doug, I'm stealing your thunder here. (laughs) We we paid for the economics. It was economically positive, not negative, to improve the system. So we have data that shows we're we're projecting economic value as well as environmental value. How's that for a good combination? So uh, just – and and I'm kind of missing part of this conversation, so I apologize if this question has been kind of addressed, but – just for those uh, vineyard people out there, this doesn't mean that the only time that you can add biochar is or create biochar is from your old vines. That's the opportunity when you've pulled a vineyard out. That's the best economics. But if you have uh, an opportunity to test some biochar in the rows, Doug, you can do that. Uh, you can do it uh, for uh, stormwater runoff on the edge of a, of a vineyard. Uh, and capture the stormwater with the uh, elemental carbon. There are a number of ways to proceed before you have a full vineyard replanting process. Right. And 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 is it true or is it is it viable that here in the North um, Bay where we've had these fires, as people are you know clearing their properties, are those trees um, that are that they're pulling off? Are those viable to make biochar? Funny you should ask. Uh, it's as almost, I, I could have set up that question. Two That's things, what I was trying to do. Two things we do, and you did it well. Two things we do at the, at the uh, Ecology Center that also involve biochar are, one, flame cap kilns, and I'll come back to that in a minute. And, uh, and so we are working in the forests on the, on the slash material to reduce forest fire risk uh, by using a, a picture, a typical metal container uh, uh, that looks like a, an old burn barrel, but it's not. 
It comes in flat sheets that fit in a pickup truck, holes in the four corners, and you use bolts to assemble the kiln in the field. You then place the waste wood into the kiln, uh, in the, right in the forest, in a forest clearing. And you, uh, uh, we have a 4-4 rule. The, the wood should be no longer than four feet and no fatter than four inches in diameter. Uh, you then fill the barrel, light it again from the top. It's actually a double layer of metal on the, on the round rim. It's as easy to do when I can show pictures, but I'm trying to use words. <laughs> and uh, light it from the top and keep adding wood until you have a full load and then quench wood water. You've got biochar right in the forest. And we have removed uh, ladder fuels without any smoke emissions. Yeah. Indeed, we have another grant at the Ecology Center uh, from the uh, Department of uh, Cal Fire that is allowing us to get full emissions testing on these barrels, on these flame-capped kilns. Uh, they look visually like our conservation burn. There's no smoke. The flame cap eats the smoke once again. Right. But we, uh, you don't know what you're not seeing. So we have hired the world's uh, best emissions testing group to do it. It's the U.S. Forest Service Fire Lab in Missoula, Montana. They will be testing in a building, safely, one presumes, underneath a, a hood and so on. And they're also going to come into Northern California at the right time and test in the field. And they'll actually be testing emissions on the conservation burn as well. So my hope, one of my little dreams is that once we get really good emissions data on flame cap kilns, we will mandate them as state policy and law that that's the only way we're able to eliminate ladder fuels in the forest as we reduce forest fire risk. And we create biochar. Um, About 20% of the wood turns into biochar. Wow. This is a question for both of you. Um, where do people buy biochar, number one. And again, I want to look at the acreage per ton. What is the average investment for a, a vineyard plus the labor? And how does that equal a return on investment and impact? So, Doug, I think Let's you're start probably going to... start with Doug on that. Then I want to jump in on some of the other costing. Perfect. Per yeah. Um, given a, a rate of tons per acre, which is what we're using as kind of our application. And I wanted to say that uh, what we found of all of our results and most of the results that you find published show that uh, biochar works much better when it's combined with compost. In other words, composted together with your compost materials, so that they all generate all those organisms together. And the, the, basically the, the biochar is supercharged with nutrients and with uh, microorganisms. Uh, the other thing I want to say is that when we're feeding, when we're putting biochar and compost in the soil, we're not feeding the plants. It's not a fertilizer for plants. It's feeding the microbiology of the soil. And that's what this is all about. This isn't just putting particles of carbon in the soil so the plants have more available water and nutrients. It's feeding that whole population in the soil that's turning over nutrients and, and available to the crop. And that's that's where this all comes in, in terms of soil health. And that's a very important point. Cost, uh, at $300 per ton delivered, that's $3,000. And then we put about 15 tons of compost with that, and that's another $1,500. So we're talking like $4,500, just base cost. Mm -hmm. Plus uh, some labor cost. 
plus some labor, but it's it's not labor. A, not a lot. That you do anyway, really. It's, yeah. It's, it's all the soil land prep that you do ahead of time. It's mixed with that. Well, let's get into your numbers, Doug. Um, what is the return on investment um, and how long, et cetera? The, I, I'm going to talk first just about biochar only because sure. I had an, a biochar only treatment. Uh, this was part and, of the research we did with the Department of Water Resources funding. Okay. This is from the DWR Sonoma Ecology Center grant. Uh, so the biochar uh, for us was $240 a ton, so that's $2,400 per acre cost. In the first harvest, which was third leaf, and you have to, this is Pinot Noir, you have to remember that uh, we're a production oriented, this is a production oriented vineyard. It's, we're not doing two to three tons per acre, we're doing seven, eight if we can. Um, and so it's oriented towards productivity, and so that's what I'm talking about. So the first harvest was third leaf, which was an early harvest. Uh, it gave us 1.3 tons per acre over the un. un fertilized control or on biochar control. Uh, that's uh, 1950 was the total increase in, in return, a, a great price of average around 1500 per ton. So first year, 1950, the second year, fourth leaf, 1650 was the, was the increase over the control. Fifth leaf was 2250 over control. Uh, these are these are basically in the range of one or 0.7 to 1.5 tons per acre more than the control. So over over the four seasons of harvest through 19 or through 2022, uh, you had an increase of 4.6 tons per acre. Uh, comes out to $6,900 minus your $2,400 investment. So you, over the first four harvests, you've made 4,500 more per acre. Just by putting in biochar, and with the biochar compost, you're making eight thousand seven hundred per acre. And think so about the fact that you're improving climate change. You're offsetting automobile and other emissions right. while you're making extra money in the vineyard. That was my next question, right there. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 just to clarify this. Um, a lot of, so you guys both know, a lot of the guests that we have on, we talk to a lot of smaller wineries and smaller producers. Um, Doug, you're, you you guys are a large vineyard management company. Um, uh, you you farm uh, probably the whole range of um, uh, types of grapes, right? You have people that are yeah. farming more for production, people that are farming for, or you're farming for people for production and for quality. Um, yes. but this is a no, no lose situation, right? Because I'm sure that even if you're, um, not farming the piece of property for tonnage, you're still getting, um, a better balanced growing, um, and, and the vines are just healthier in general, correct? Yes. And the DWR, uh, trial, we did, uh, great quality and, uh, basically great parameters were not improved significantly but they were improved across the board and it's particularly the the uh, anthocyanins and tannins were improved right and you're getting uh, water savings typically by using biochar it holds water and improves soil organic carbon by how much yeah. doug's got numbers uh, on this from uh, the oasis trial yeah what we saw was uh Everything was getting watered the same. All those treatments got the same amount of water, but we had more fruit produced per amount of water applied. 
with biochar and with biochar compost. So that's the efficiency. But I think my feeling is, is my understanding is that where we're really saving is we're saving the, my, the, the soil microbiota from mm -hmm. the big fluctuations and losing their populations. Imagine that all the nutrients are basically being um, turned over by those microorganisms. And if they dry out, it gets hot, then those populations go away. They, they basically are in fluctuation. But what they do is they use biochar particles as like coral reefs in the soil where they colonize these things, mycorrhiza colonize them, all kinds of beneficial bacteria. Only, only useful fungi work in there. It's, uh, the water is held in those particles and th those things are able to survive over time. And so you're not interrupting those cycles of nutrient availability. Hey, Doug, do you um, guys farm everything sustainably? Do you farm anything organically? Um, and is yes. there any difference um, in, in those numbers or anything that you found from, from the difference of how you farm the property? We haven't had the opportunity to do biochar on any of our organic properties. So we've got trial our, our blocks going in now that are receiving biochar. Uh, so we'll know going forward what kind of how it affects, but it can only be positive. Yeah, that's what right. I was thinking. In was other vineyards curious. we've worked with, like Donham here in the Carneros, right. Uh, are using biochar along with organic. Right. That, they yeah, that's they right. will only use wood that they've uh, captured on their own property. They will not import wood or biochar from outside. That's how organic and sustainable they want to be. Right. And so is, it, but did I miss this? Is like, can you cut vine cuttings like after pruning and make biochar or is that material too small? Well, you could. Absolutely. You you could certainly in one of our flame cap kilns. Nothing's right. too small. Okay, that's uh, the, yeah. it. Might be too big, right? But it won't be too small, right? Fascinating. Um, let's see. What else? What we, we've overwhelmed you with no questions. I, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm 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 a little bit. Um, I'm I'm still trying to well, ob observe all. I mean, we had take some in questions before about cost and availability. Let me go back into some of that. There are two high-quality suppliers available to us here in Northern California. One is called Pacific Biochar, an easy name to remember. The other is called Oregon Biochar Solutions. They both make high-quality biochar and sell it. Uh, listeners can find both on the web by name. Uh, and they're both good companies to work with, in my experience. So they uh, make it available. Once we begin to produce biochar in our Napa site, uh, which would be within hopefully the next uh, 90 to 120 days. Actually. Oh, really? That's great. This is the first pure pyrolysis machine in uh, to make biochar in California. The ones we, the big suppliers, Pacific Biochar, Oregon Biochar Solutions, have adapted uh, sawmills uh, to uh, use the heat there to produce biochar. Uh, they they modified the basic cogeneration systems that are there to make electricity, and they're making now quality biochar. But our pyrolysis system is purely for that purpose. We're not making electricity. So that brings up a question: Where are your sources of wood? I mean, is it from old pallets? Is it from? And I mean, how, where do you get this? Trees? Well, uh, most of it is coming from uh, fire. Uh, reduction systems where the tree companies have uh, uh, contracted with PG&E and others 
in order to remove wood from the from the damaged forest or to remove the wood appropriately to uh, uh, lessen forest fire risk. Yeah, in I mean, the in the system that we were purchasing at the Ecology Center to operate in in uh, Napa, uh, in American Canyon, we will be we're partnered with A Plus Tree Company that does urban tree trimming throughout the Bay Area. And those wastes and those woody wastes have been ground up and go into landfill where they turn into uh, greenhouse gases over time. Right. Instead, we're going to be putting them into the pyrolysis system and making biochar. How much can you handle? Oh, uh, We can handle several hundred tons uh, per year. Okay. So That's it's a excellent. modest start, but it's a start. Uh, it's the first unit of its kind. We hope to see more of them. My vision is that this is a 40-foot container with air emissions controls, and it makes good biochar from wood waste. I'd like to see a container like this on the edge of the forest, right. not located way down in Napa where right. we have to truck stuff yeah. to it. Though most of that's urban waste coming in, wood waste. But let's picture along all of the forest edges a 40-foot container every 8 miles, 12 miles, that's pulling the waste wood from the forest, turning it into biochar for use in vineyards and elsewhere. My question now is, where can you go? You've already got one unit at X number of tons per year available. Um, what is your, what's, does your marketing plan say? Where can you go in the next well, 10 years? The, uh, the issue is the use of the biochar and the economics. No big surprise there. Uh, the ROIs that you discussed with Doug have to be there for other agricultural users or carbon offsets. What we're finding increasingly is that biochar production systems qualify for voluntary carbon offsets payments. Excellent. We're talking to one biochar company whose name I'll hold uh, confidential for the moment that believes it can begin to provide large amounts of biochar to farmers at no cost other than transport and marketing who wants to use it and how much and so on. And they'll cover their production costs adequately from the carbon credits. Is there any difference in the species of trees used? Um, do you get different results on uh, on it? Um, I'm not sure we've done enough testing to fully and adequately scientifically answer that. I would start by saying the biggest difference is moisture content. And uh, if something is moist, more moist or more oily, it may take more uh, heat prep before it can adequately go into the biochar pyrolysis system. I was thinking about those big eucalyptus trees over mm -hmm. off of fifth street East that came down in old like, winery road. Yeah. an old winery road. Like, you know what, but, but that was what I was it's, thinking mainly was like eucalyptus. Like well, what do those oils have to do? It reminds me that as uh, I'm operating without any notes. So I thought of this earlier and I wanted to bring it up. We're working at the ecology center now with an interesting new profit making corporation based in the, Santa Clara area called Earth Foundries, and we have a contract with them to work jointly with them. Earth Foundries has a large contract underway right now with the East Bay Regional Park System to remove lots of eucalyptus trees and turn them into biochar. And they're actually doing that at the moment. The first phase is actually now underway. Earth Foundries with a CAL FIRE grant that we helped them write won the money to purchase a large machine called a Tiger Cat Carbonator. This is a big machine that uh, takes whole logs 
and turns them into about uh, 10% biochar and the rest uh, uh, into uh, into smoke emissions. Yeah. Uh, and it's a transportable unit that moves on tracks a bit like one of the tanks going to Ukraine. Uh, but this one is working <laughs> on the environment. And they're actually making biochar now out of eucalyptus in the East Bay. Question. We're working with dairies here in this area at the Ecology Center with Earth Boundaries to take that biochar and test it with compost uh, at a dairy uh, right over in the uh, uh, Sebastopol uh, Petaluma area. Um, what does an average eucalyptus tree weigh and what does that convert into tons of biochar? I'm going to, be, I'm going to teach you another phrase uh, that I've used over the years. Uh, I call it a ceiling number. And normally people think, gee, he means a maximum. I mean, no, I look up at the ceiling and pull down a number. <laughs> I do not know what the hell a eucalyptus tree weighs. <laughs> Doug, any idea? But I could make up a ceiling number. Right, right. Great answer. I have really no idea. Yeah. I just, basically, you take three tons of a woody biomass and with a high quality pyrolysis, a high end pyrolysis machine, you'll get one ton of. So it's a three to one ratio. Our, our unit is about a four to one ratio. Okay. It's a modest, small, it's the best right. unit we could afford. Yeah. And there are lots of good units available, mostly in Europe, where they, they've innovated with biochar many more years and they do heat capture because electricity and fuels have been much more expensive. Any of your listeners who rented a car and driven around in Europe over the years know how much you pay for gasoline. Absolutely. Um, and so and here we're beginning to learn about that here. Right. Um, so they've done the innovation there uh, and we're learning from them. There's some really excellent pyrolysis machines made in Germany that one could buy, but they're going to cost you about $3 million Ouch. on the capital initial capital without all of the other bells and whistles to feed it, to control moisture and so on. Our unit, uh, from uh, from Iowa is about 650k, which was the most we felt we could ask Cal Fire for, and they said yes. Doug, I, I think I think there's a wide range of, of machinery coming available, and the interesting thing, going back to your question on the eucalyptus and the phenols, all the all the extra stuff that's in eucalyptus, all of that in a high quality pyrolysis unit gets burned off. It basically gets burned up. And your, your ultimate biochar is going to have a structure very much like the wood it came from. Mm -hmm. Imagine rice hulls don't have a whole lot of uh, holes in them and things like that, and they're going to produce a biochar that's relatively fine particle. You take any kind of a hardwood or softwood, it's going to have the, the basically the structure of all of its tubes and vascular system, and it's going to be very complicated. A one <laughs> a, a piece of biochar the size of a pencil eraser has the surface area of a football field so that's what all the micro the micro pores that doug is describing are quite stunning when you see the photographs doug i have another question um can this be used across all soils from here to iowa and on uh i mean is it a good for soybeans and corn and everything else uh it's going to have a, a point of economic return i've seen research showing for example, on wheat, you could never get an economic return. But no. I think specialty crops like orchard crops and permanent crops particularly, where you modify the soil and your investment basically is for a longer term. Okay. It makes a lot. Yeah. Makes a the worse right. the soil, the more important the addition of biochar becomes. The real it's, sandy, leachy, right. leaching soils. I'm talking soils, and there's an expert called Doug Beck on the line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but uh, that's my understanding. They also hold a lot of water. I'm very interested in Imperial County, California, major agricultural area that's being squeezed really hard right now on Colorado River water inputs. And by saving water, by putting biochar into some of the poorest soils down in Imperial County, we can make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Much better than trying to pump more water out on the Sierras and get it all the way down there in terms of high cost. Absolutely. So, you know, um, Bart brought... Go ahead, Bart. Well, I was just wondering, what are some of your biggest challenges with pushing this forward? Is it, you know, people accepting it and being open to it? Is it uh, material? Is it finances? Like, what are your challenges? And then, and what are the things that you're really excited about that's already happening besides what you've already talked about? Yeah, of course. Um, The biggest challenges tend to be... uh, Agricultural conservatism, which I say with great respect, including in the wine industry. If grandpa didn't do it that way, by God, I'm not going to do it that way. And cost. And then there there is a bit of a kind of sense that this biochar sounds like magic. It can't be that good. Right. Because it saves water, it improves soil health, it saves the planet by sequestering carbon. How the hell could it all be that good? Right. And I think just in general, people hear burning something and they're like, well, we're not supposed to be burned. What about all these, you know, no burn days? And they don't, they just truly don't understand that this right. is completely. And different. our answer is we're not burning anything. We're, we're not combusting anything. We're pyrolyzing. Right. But it's something new and it seems a little bit too good to be true. Therefore, it probably isn't. And then <laughs> so, and it's expensive. Right. So we, the market is still emerging but it will get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Doug, Bart, the, go ahead, Doug. Things, go ahead. Yeah, one of the things to me is that uh, USDA and NRCS, the National Resource Conservation, is uh, they basically have recognized it, and they're making available funds to fund a lot of trials. And so I, and I think the, the amount that they're allotting it was going to be quite large. This is the USDA program. I think it's two, three, six, or three, two, six, something like that. Yeah, there's yeah. going to be money, and that will help drive acceptance when people are getting enough to put it in without having money come out of their pockets. To me, that and and the fact that there are uh, pyrolysis machines coming online that are going to enable putting pyrolysis down by the almond sheller, polar shellers, for example, that have mountains of shells that will make great biochar. Absolutely. There's lots of places where you could install machines and, and really change agriculture while you sequester carbon permanently. It's so, really quite amazing. So, Doug, about those funds available, how do people hear from the uh, federal um, – how do they hear the federal message, and how do they sign up for that? And and are they getting it now, do you think? Uh, it's just coming online. It's just okay. starting – fantastic tools developed that allow you to see where biochar is going to work best. Actually, they use they use the soil classifications to, to basically point you towards you're most likely to get success with biochar. But the person to contact would be your local NRCS person. Mm-hmm. Natural County. Resources, USDA, NRCS, or your local resource conservation district here in California. And I assume that's RCD. all online these days also. You know, yeah. I mean, far, farmers aren't slow a lot of it's online and a lot of it involves making information available the earth foundry's work we're doing is explicitly funded by the state and a big piece of it is information and outreach it's one of the reasons i'm here to 
spend some time with you folks today and your podcast listeners. We're doing marketing and outreach about this. People only know what they know. Right. That's exactly right. If you need any volunteer help, I'm in. All right. All right. You're, so you're that's good. Uh, Doug, I have another question about uh, Bart brought up uh, organic soils um, earlier. And I wondered, um, can you bring back dead soils like this with compost and, and biochar? It's exactly what this does is it brings back dead soils. I was amazed when I came from overseas and started looking at soils in California vineyards. Uh, basically, they're burned out. Con continuous applications of, of chemical fertilizers and no applications of organic matter have really taken soils down to where they're like half a percent to a percent of organic matter. I consider these nearly dead soils because they're hardly supporting any kind of turnover. And you, so you have high inputs of fertilizers, high uses of pesticides, things like that. But you can enliven these soils. That application we did in the, in the trial at Oasis, we increased uh, soil organic matter percent from 0.7% to about 1.5% in that area that we affected under the vines. So nearly, it, nearly doubling. Transformed the growth of those vines. They were obviously better, healthier vines than the controls. Well, you know, you, you've talked about tons for acres and what kind of increase are are you seeing an increase of tons per acre? Are you how do you how do you actually document to a, a farmer owner you know grower um, the benefits? Show me uh, the money. Yeah, well, show, <laughs> show me show me the trial results. So right. much of the sales is based on anecdotal evidence. I mean, you know, your fertilizer salesman tells you this is a great thing, and you take his word for it, or you don't. Uh, and how everybody views fertilizers this is not a fertilizer it's a soil modification system is really what it is and it's taking your soil towards greater soil health and we did soil health measurements as well in all this and found out results from the biochar and biochar compost mix so it, it's it's a, it's a it's basically jump starting your soil health and what and we did in the oasis vineyard was replicates of uh Biochar only, biochar and compost, control with neither. So we have data from those different replicates that we compare. That's where the science comes in. And so what is the benefit you tell the farmer? Just better soil or does he get an increase in anything? Increased yield and increased fruit quality. Yield quality. Go. And vine health. So I, I just want to, there's something that David wrote that I want to read because I think it's, it's funny. It was written in 2016. Um, when were you? When did you first do the start biochar here in Sonoma with the Ecology Center? Oh boy, um, probably close to ten years ago. Okay, so so you've been at it for a while. Yeah, I think it's interesting. In 2016, you wrote, "Using dead and dying trees in this way allows us to thin the state's forest carefully, thereby grading, uh, greatly reducing forest fire risk." At the same time, many new jobs will be created in rural areas. As a cost, as for cost concerns, California spent over $3 billion in recent years fighting these fires, and it's not counting the cost of devastating communities. And then look what has happened since that. And had we been able to get things in 
programs built, well, we might not be seeing what we've seen. And I wouldn't have had to be evacuated twice. And you wouldn't have had to be evacuated And I've twice. had two sets of very close friends lost homes. And yeah. many of us listening to this have. It's yeah. really tragic. And And so I guess my hope for this is that, you know, we all learn from it. We opened our minds to it and, um, uh, and, and, and we can cut down risk, you know, I mean, to some extent, some of our risk has been taken out from the fires, but we've had so much growth since it's not like we can just go, Oh, well that burned. We don't need to worry about it for no. 20 years. The, the other piece Bart that relates immediately to this in my mind has to do with glo- uh, global uh, climate change Absolutely. and greenhouse gas emissions. Absolutely. We've been very proud in California with with efforts like what are called AB 32, Assembly Bill 32, that reduced our air emissions of, of uh, greenhouse gases significantly over about 15 years or so. Uh, and we're very proud of that performance, both from vehicles and from uh, factories and oil refineries and so on. The emissions from the 17 and 20 fires overwhelmed all those gains. Yeah, see? So we've got to be under control of this uh, in terms of the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a couple of questions that are marketing oriented. Um, First of all, what percent of the farmers in wine are aware of biochar? And if they are aware of biochar, what do they think now? What do you want them to think after you've contacted them? And then we'll go into audience numbers and what the highest impact you've had in in the tools that you've used to communicate. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We are uh, continuing to reach out with programs like this, with websites, with publications of the Oasis Vineyard, data that uh, Doug has managed and so on. Uh, It's a continuing process. Uh, I wouldn't dare sit here to tell you that we feel we've been successful to date. It's an ongoing, it's an ongoing process. I mean, I think, I think probably, you know, most farmers have somewhere in their news feeds and, and things that they've received. They've probably seen um, the mention of biochar um, they've probably read right past it. I know my friend Jen, um, was working with the ecology center probably tens years ago and she started telling me about it and mm-hmm. would send me articles and I would read it and, but I couldn't wrap my head around it and it didn't seem relevant to what I was doing in my life at the time, even though I was in the wine business. Um, but it's, it, it takes time. It takes the outreach. It takes, you know, uh, your peers saying, Hey, did you read this article? And did you find out about it? Um, or, uh, with Doug's experience, like to share those things. I mean, that's, what's going to push the, push the rock up the hill. More and more experimentation, more and more publicity and marketing. Um, I love the phrase peer review, not just as an academic, but the fact that when a vineyard uses biochar like Adonim in the Carneros, others peer over the fence. That's the the next kind of peer review that makes a difference. What's my neighbor doing over there? We're working with a dairy farm right now using the Earth Foundry's biochar out of the East Bay Parks. Uh, This is in the Petaluma area. He's got thousands of uh, cows. Say who that is, I haven't cleared it with him, that, so I probably won't, right. but it's one of the larger dairy farms um, 
that we have in the Petaluma area. And uh, we're working with him as an example of how to amend the compost that he uses with biochar. And part of that is explicitly marketing. Well, you've got such a strong message in two words, yield and quality. And that's something that every grape grower knows and wants. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah, increased yield, yield and increased quality. And capturing carbon is huge. Yeah, and again, yes, there you go. Yes, that's the third. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, I mean, that's kind of like the work that Stemple Creek is doing, you know. They're, um, by their farming, they're capturing carbon in the soil. And so offsets are great, but if you... If you have offsets, but if you're actually doing it, that's a whole nother story. That's exactly um, right. And t- tonight, uh, the city of Sonoma will have its first meeting of the Climate Action Commission, a new commission. And I'll be arguing for the use of biochar on the Montini Trail, yes. Nathanson Creek Preserve, yep. Sonoma Garden Park, uh, working with the city to begin to offset some of our emissions by putting biochar in the ground, and and tell us about that commission. That's that's new. Um, uh, can you tell me there's who's a, on the board with a you? Five and- member commission. I uh, lucky enough to have been appointed by one of the council members to the commission. Uh, we have a draft climate action plan of about eighty pages. Uh, it has many good things and a few that I'm going to try to correct starting tonight. There you go uh, to make it uh, stronger. One of the areas I'm going to push for that's not in the plan at the moment, and your your audience may be interested in this, uh, goes beyond the wine industry, but of course the wine industry is a big piece. I would like to see the City of Sonoma Climate Commission and the Sonoma Ecology Center coordinate to seek a significant grant from a foundation to study seriously what does it mean to be climate smart tourist community. Mm. How do we deal with transportation? How do we deal with knowledge and information and offsets of carbon? What does it mean to be climate smart? How do we build the business community, including the wine and other business community in Sonoma, together with the ecological and greenhouse gas community? So we're working together, not pulling apart. Yeah, yeah. There's so much work to be done. Let's set a standard here and let's figure it out. What are, what are our options and how do we implement? We're a small town, but we can be a leader. Yeah. Well, maybe this is so that's one, one of the things I hope the commission will do along with biochar and some of the other initiatives we can take. Maybe the Sonoma Valley vintners and growers can get involved in that and help you guys with that also. That would be terrific yeah. as a leading part of the business community, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of a peer review right now. We're learning so yeah. much today, oh, yeah. you know, and yeah. we're going to take it elsewhere. That's amazing. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about action and leadership. There's been too much talk and too little action in the climate arena, and it's time for that to change. Yeah. yeah. Doug, awesome. from your point of view, what have we not covered? Uh, I don't know. I don't can't think of it. <laughs> okay. No. Well, you know. Uh, are you implementing biochar now in Monterey extensively? Big time, Big time yeah. Thousands of tons right now. Mm-hmm. How many of how many acres do you guys manage? Uh, I think it's about 18,000. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, from from Paso Robles area all the way up to uh 
north of uh, 18,000 acres of, of wine, of wine, of vineyards. Yeah. John, you know how I, I always say, like, the wines that Sam and I are, you know, it's like one grain at the beach. Yeah. Well, guess what? Doug's the beach. <laughs> you got the beach. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, those are those are the wines. You know, those are the majority, big parts. You know, large production. And and on that, you, you know, I can do as much as I can. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Doug. Go ahead. No, I was just I was just going to say that the majority of those acres are owned by large investment companies, and they are a hundred percent behind the biochar story, obviously, because it creates the. Uh, fact that they can offset some of their their uh, even winery uh, carbon use uh, but the, the 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 trick is is it, it's a win-win for everyone I think that's what we really maybe not didn't talk about enough was the carbon sequestration and the component of this mm-hmm. that really do reducing the co2 in the atmosphere biochar can go into concrete it can go into asphalt it can go into soils of all kinds for filtration. It works in asphalt and concrete. How does does it do that? And let let me note something interesting in that regard that I thought of getting into earlier. There was a mention earlier in the discussion about rice hulls Mm -hmm. and making. uh, I'm working now with a company. They're back east. They patented a pyrolysis system to make biochar from rice hulls. What's unusually unique about it is that the rice hulls have a lot of uh, silica which makes it particularly useful as a supplement in concrete. Hmm. We did, we worked with UC Davis, Doug's uh, alma mater, to uh, put together a proposal. We weren't funded to uh, uh, USDA recently to try to uh, really take this forward. This company, and I'll hold their name uh, separate for the moment, recently has been uh, approved to begin, they've been working with Arkansas, and uh, uh, as much as we produce rice in, in Northern California, most of it in the U.S. is out of the Arkansas, Tennessee, Louisiana area, and they're based in Memphis, this company. But they recently decided to move ahead with a uh, California-based operation, and they'll be locating their unique pyrolysis unit in Northern California over the next year. I'm personally working with them on some of the permitting issues. Oh. So within a year or so, we're going to have a very unique kind of bi- a biochar production out of rice hulls that are now being burned. Right. So it's good for carbon, and maybe they'll go into concrete as a very unique addition to concrete. That's awesome. And uh, something I learned as part of this whole process of thinking about the biochar and concrete, the, the production worldwide, globally, by weight of concrete, is the second largest of any commodity in the world, in global. The largest is water. So second only to water by weight globally, concrete. Wow. So if we could offset the carbon impacts of 5, 10, 20% of that concrete, right. holy moly, right. what, a, what an improvement that'll be. Yeah. Bart and Doug and Dave, um, what are the online sites that, progressive farmers now go to for information about crops and bettering everything and carbon sequestering, improving the soils. What are those major outlets right now? The winemakers podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. R- Radio misfits at right, work. Right. 
Uh, I would add to that our website out of the Absolutely. Sonoma Ecology Center. Which is? Uh, SonomaEcologyCenter.org. Yeah. And a specific subset of that is called ScalingBiochar.org. And I would have them look there. There are quite a number of interesting, provocative, and informative pieces that are on the Scaling Biochar website. And I'm, I'm pleased to note that we're in final negotiations at the Ecology Center with the U.S. Biochar Initiative, which is a national nonprofit, to take over the operation of the Scaling Biochar website and make it even bigger and stronger nationally. And, and we'll link um, all of these sites um, on the website. Um, now, the Sonoma Ecology Center has um, is on social media, um, correct? Oh, yes, uh, of course. At Sonoma Ecology Center, I believe it is. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and Doug, um, could you give a shout out to, um, any, uh, social media or any websites that you would like us to, um, include and for our listeners to, um, be able to check out? Yeah. You know, I just, I saw recently, um, a web presentation from USDA national resource conservation service, uh, and they have some fantastic tools that they've developed for determining where to apply it, how much to use, all the conversion factors, all the, all the management things about deciding whether or not to do it, and also the opportunities for funding. Um, and most farmers can get paid up, I think it's up to $800 per ton for biochar. Uh, one limitation is the ceiling cap on gross revenue, which is at about $1 million. So that, that leaves a lot of people out. But the information is all there. So search on biochar, USDA, and RCS, and you'll see those tools. And they really, uh, they really come a long ways in the past year. And here locally, the Petaluma office of NRCS is very knowledgeable about biochar. There's a particular uh, lead staff person named Brooke Peppy, Miss Peppy, uh, and they could look her up. In the Petaluma office, she's a big enthusiast about biochar. Broke is Doug. Would you please repeat that national resources site? Um, I don't know the site. The, it's a U.S. It's a combined USDA, okay, NRS, uh, and I think it's the Soil Web Toolkit or something like that. It doesn't only cover biochar and compost, but it covers those subjects really well. It's very new. Mm. It's based on the. Uh, maybe you know this, the Pacific Northwest Biochar Handbook. Isn't there something like that that was recently produced? Uh, yes, I'm not sure I have in front of me the exact title of that, but we can. Do you have? I, I, you've seen this? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, it was a it was a group of uh, experts that came together over a period of time in the Pacific Northwest. We've worked closely with one of those members, Dr. Jim Amonette. Uh, who's very strong on looking at biochar from what he calls a life cycle analysis or an LCA. And interestingly, any uh, facility that's attempting to acquire carbon offset credits, which are worth real dollars, has to complete a life cycle assessment of their biochar production and use in order to qualify. So the LCA has become an important driver for the economics of all of this. Um, Doug, you've mentioned the Pacific Northwest a couple of times. What area is doing the best incorporating biochar into the soil? I think, you know, Washington State has a lot of relatively poor soils, really well-drained, that need organic matter help. They're very low in organic matter. 
And Oregon has uh, many acidic soils in which biochar tends to act kind of as a liming agent. So mm. it, it uh, mm -hmm. does multiple things. And those two places are pretty well advanced. Their local resource conservation service and USDA in that area have really stepped up with funding and support. And they, they're carrying it far, farther than California. And there's the thing is, is, we have so much biomass in California, we're the next. Excellent. So there's an interesting group that we've worked with a bit up there with a great name. Uh, it's called the U.S. Rake Force, R-A-K-E. <laughs> and it came about because in a, a previous federal administration, the leader of that administration was talking about raking the forest. That's right. And they were also talking about a space force. And so these guys, kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's kind of fun from my point of view, right. created the U.S. Rake Force, and they're very active on biochar in the Pacific Northwest. That's awesome. So your listeners could look up U.S. Rake, R-A-K-E-F-O-R-C-E, and they'll find their The website. Rake Force. Maybe we should get a like badge for Space, space right. Force and Rake the Forest. <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. I really love the kind of smart-ass politics of that. So uh, do that, I. That came up. Absolutely. So... Uh, David, from your point of view, what have we not talked about? Well, we touched on several times carbon sequestration and local action, and uh, that I think deserves continuing attention. I would love each of your listeners to think about, okay, what can I do differently tomorrow, next week, next month that'll make a difference for this planet? It'll be different from Mr. Smith to Ms. Jones but let's all figure it out. Let's do something different that makes a difference for the planet beyond talking about it, doing it, action. And that's what I'm going to be pushing with the Sonoma Commission. They're going to get tired of me in that regard, but that's okay. <laughs> you sounding um, like Ms. Nichols that we had on a couple of weeks I mean, ago. You know, you're both completely right. Like if you're sitting around waiting for the government to come in and give us programs that are going to fix all this, um, that's not going to happen. If you're waiting for some new technology, this is about as close as it gets to new technology um, that's going to change things. And so we all have to do just something every day, um, you know, whether it's pick up a plastic bottle that's laying in the creek next to your um, street that with the rains that we have coming all at one time now it's going to end up in Sonoma Creek and if it ends up in Sonoma Creek guess what it might end up in the bay and if it ends up in the bay it's going to be out in the big Pacific plastic garbage dump dump yeah um, yeah actions so. make a difference they do and the, and your neighbors see it's that kind of peer review I was talking yeah. about your neighbor peers over your fence you're managing things a little differently with your grass. You're watering it differently. Yep. You're using compost. You're using biochar. You're driving an electric vehicle or you're bicycling. You're doing something a little differently, and your peers peer review you, see what's going on. They start doing it, and all of a sudden, we got a movement. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank yeah, you so very awesome. much. Doug, it's, so, it's such a pleasure to have you on. You're a fountain of knowledge, that's for sure. Yeah, Doug, um, if you get up here in Sonoma sometime, please look us up and come visit. Um, you know, we could have you on the show live sometime and discuss some of your um, future findings. Yeah, that sounds great. You know, I, I did want to suggest there is a book that I would suggest if, if you're really fired up about biochar, just to read the potential into it is a book called Burn mm -hmm. by Kathleen Draper. That's Kathleen with a K. Um Amazing book, and it really covers all the basis on how biochar can save the planet, basically. 
Yeah, and the book goes well beyond just agriculture into concrete and some of the other uses where we can sequester carbon and begin to really make a difference. And hopefully we'll start some of that in Little Sonoma. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, Bart, any shout-outs today? Um, yeah, I, I actually have a couple. Um, first, I want everybody to please check out SonomaEcologyCenter.org. Um, sign up for their newsletter. There's some great resources on this. Even if you're just coming to Sonoma to visit, um, you want to find out and you have an environmental thought in your mind, um, check it out. There's a lot of good information there. There's even a button for donations. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Hit the D button. Hit the D button. Um, secondly, I'd like to um, uh, uh, thank you guys both for being on the show. This has been great. Um, a little shout out to my friend, Mark Flacco, who put us together. Yeah. Um, also on the board at on, the Sunday yep. Ecology Center yep. and an active supporter of these efforts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I want to um, just say that on April 29th, um, the Garage Teast are coming back to Sonoma for a tasting, the Northern Exposure. This will be the fifth year. Um, I will be there pouring my wines. I hope that some of you will set um, some time and come visit us that weekend. Where is it? Uh, at the Veterans Building. Okay. Uh, time and date again uh saturday april 29th i think it starts around noon um and it's all small producers oh. have to be under a thousand cases to pour at at it that is so, a great um, show Bart. typically you either have the the owner or the winemaker there pouring strictly um i'd also like to um, shout out the people at conscious container um, I placed my first order with Conscious Container um, this year for my March bottling. So I'm really excited about this. Um, this is a company that's going in and they're buying all the unused glass from the large wine producers. They have a facility up in Asti where they're rewashing the glass um, and then um, selling it. And, you know, all that glass before they started doing this was going to recycling, quote, which unquote, we know yeah. recycling is really just ends up in the landfill. So I'm super excited about, you know, reusing this glass, um, reusing unfilled glass, but we're filling it. And then um, I guess I should shout out um, our absentee uh, uh, members, uh, b both Brian and Sam, um, are on secret assignments today, but I know for the Some month of February, <laughs> yeah, for the month of February is Val Rossi in Tynes, um, month. And I know they're doing another small dinner of, um, all Rossi wines at the Sonoma Mission Inn. Um, Sam's got a bunch of, uh, uh, specials coming through. And so I thought since they're not here, I would give them a shout out, hoping that someday they won't, when I'm not on the show, they won't talk bad about me. And I just got an email from Sam about that and about the specials that they've got going on. Yeah. Um, so if you're not on the list, get on winery1600.com. So, uh, David, any shout outs that you want to make? Oh, I think we've covered a whole lot okay. of ground. I want to thank you and your listeners for figuring out what to do to explore biochar and to more generally get active in climate change effective performance. And Doug, how about you? Any shout outs? No, thanks very much for the for the invitation to join you today. It was enjoyable. You guys have a nice light heart about this all. It's a good way to approach it. Um, I get to Carmel quite a bit. Uh, any chance we could get together and have a glass of wine? Sure. That'd sure. be great. Uh, sure. I'll keep your phone number handy. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> there are a lot of good places to go out in Carmel and enjoy. So maybe Joan sure, and I yeah. can get you out for dinner with your wife or something. Even so. passion fish and uh, 
Pacific Grove was one of my favorites. Excellent. That's a good one. And uh, one last thing, everybody. Um, Earth Day. Every day is Earth Day. But Earth Day this year is Saturday, April 23rd. Um, find some time to, uh, you know, get out before that and donate some time, whether it's uh, picking up some garbage on a stretch of road that you drive by. Um, but do, do something for the environment. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Winemakers. We'll talk to you next week. Be good. An offer to my...